Awesome God, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in several passages of Scripture this morning, but I'd like to start in Romans 15, verse 13, where Paul wrote this. He said, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So when it comes to life, what would you consider yourself to be? Are you an optimist, a realist, or a pessimist? I need you to really think about this because we're going to be digging into this all morning. What are you, an optimist, a realist, or a pessimist? I am the eternal optimist. I, yes, for those of you who know me, that is what I am. I, when I always think things are going to be better than they are, when I'm driving home, I always think I will get there quicker than I do. When I'm doing work on any kind of work, work on a project, work in my home, I always think I will get it done quicker than I do. And then it comes to situations, I always am great at putting a positive spin on things. I'm the eternal optimist. Well, it's the end of the year, and I love to think about, maybe you're starting to do some of this, the things about your year of 2022. And when I think about 2022, I automatically think about all the good things. And there were some great things that happened for us this past year. My family, we had an amazing trip to England where I was able to take a class and just learn some great things about culture and evangelism. I have a longtime friend of 23 years that he and I went on a fishing trip to uh, Lake Michigan and I caught some of the most amazing salmon and we're still enjoying it and eating it. And then the other thing that came to mind actually was two really significant moments here at the church for me. I was able and thankful to be a part of two really significant baptisms. Will was baptized on Easter, and then we had an amazing baptism earlier in September with Tim and just some really cool stories and hearing about their journeys. I was also a part of um, baptizing my niece just a couple of weeks ago, and just some really encouraging and thankful things. And usually I stop there, but this year... Because of this sermon, joy and suffering, and really what we're going to be talking about this morning, there's a lot of different ways you can go with suffering, and I think today what I really want us to think more about is not so much persecution when it comes to suffering, but just more pain and the language of pain and grief. And how do we experience joy in the midst of grief and pain? And I realized that this past year for me was not as rosy as the eternal optimist likes to think about. In fact, most of our years probably have that. The first thing, this is maybe just a little bit vulnerable here, I found that this year I forget things. And you may laugh a little bit at that. You can, it's fine. Uh, but I forget names like that I 
don't like to forget, and I forget things that I've told people I'm going to do for them. I mean, I really reflected on some people who got frustrated with me this year because I forgot. And I was like, ugh, getting old, ugh, not fun. On June 6th, I got that phone call that no parent ever in their life ever wants to get. I still remember it word for word when Sydney called me on a number that I didn't recognize on my phone and she said, Dad, Dad, it's bad. We've been in an accident. It's bad. It's real bad. Sid, Aubrey's not moving. And for those of you who are new this morning, uh, my kids are fine and everything turned out great, but there were a lot of moments of tension, anxiety, fear. And then I was reminded of the sudden death of one of my closest mentors, uh, Paul Stolwick, who I've known since 1995, almost 30 years, who passed away suddenly with an aneurysm. We were meant to, 10 days after his death, have a phone call. We've been meeting monthly, just talking about the church, and losses like that are hard and painful. And it made me really reflect on this message. We're in the season of Advent, and it's the beginning of the church calendar. It's purposeful that we start the church calendar thinking about Jesus and his first coming into our world. And what did Jesus bring? We, we often reflect on four words about what Jesus brought into our world, joy, hope, love, and peace. And this year, we decided as a church to just take the entire Advent season to steep, to dig into, to, to let it simmer in our hearts and lives, joy. And we're going to be actually in each word over the next four years in that same way. And we talked the first week about the call to rejoice and, and why as Christians we should be people who do rejoice. We practice rejoicing. It's something that should be in all of our lives. We talked the next week about expecting joy. Last week we talked about how shame robs us of our joy and how we can step into our shame and invite Jesus into that. And so today we're going to talk about joy and pain. Pump it up, pump it up. Sunshine, rain. You guys know the song, right? Joy, pain, pump it up. It has actually nothing to do with joy and pain. It's, a, it's just about being a rapper, actually. But, so I, but I still think of that song when I wrote that down. I was like, we're going to talk about joy and pain in my brain. I was like, all right, I digress. God is a joyous God, and Christians are to be a joyous people. So how are we supposed to respond when there's pain? What do we do in the midst of that? My proposition for us today, church, is that Christianity empowers us to experience joy alongside pain. That all of us in this journey of life, that actually one of the most defining things about Christians is that we should know the beauty of the combination or the overlapping or the tension that exists in joy and pain. And I want to unpack that for us this morning by talking about the ditches that we fall into that, keeping us, that keep us from that, the drive that we're on that help us stay in that, 
and then where we're headed, the direction, what's in front of us. So the ditches, the drive, and then the direction. Now, and I felt like it was a little easier actually to use a whiteboard to illustrate this today. I don't often do this, but today we're going to have some fun with the whiteboard. So I want to show you. So we're thinking about here the drive, and there's this balance of joy and pain that we're going to be trying to process. And I argue, or would argue to you this morning, that there are two ditches that we can fall into. We can fall into the ditch of denial. Oops, I did these backwards. So I want to make sure you see it the right way. We can, f oh no, I was right, sorry. Denial, or we can fall into the ditch of despair. Denial or despair. So, being as I'm the eternal optimist, why don't we start with then this morning the uh, ditch of denial. So what I'm arguing here is that joy, we either fall into the ditch of denial and pain, we fall into the ditch of the despair. So the ditch of denial, it's the ditch of the unhealthy optimist. The unhealthy optimist. It's important healthiness, I'll explain that later. So, i.e., when I showed up, think about this just for a second, I, I, expressing this as, as unhealthy optimism, when I showed up to pick up Dondra when we were headed to just figure out what had happened to the girls after they were in their accident, the first thing I said to her was, everything's fine. And now, that may have just been a reflex of mine to, you know, like sometimes we're just like, everything's fine, everything's fine. I had no idea what, and in fact, everything wasn't fine. But here I am, the eternal optimist, everything's fine. This is the ditch that avoids the Kleenex. This is the ditch that says, no, 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 we don't need those. Oh, no, no, it's fine. This is the cliche Christian ditch. You guys know the cliche Christian ditch? God has a plan. Everything's going to work out. Everything happens for a reason. There will be a silver lining. These, these, these cliches that we use... They're dangerous because, yes, there's some reality and truth to them, but that's what's wrong with them. They're not true. They're just kind of true, but they're not really true. So uh, I was thinking about this as I was thinking about how much I live in denial of so much wanting to avoid pain and hard things. I was in Chicago with a friend of mine several, many years ago, and we were um, outside eating ice cream. And if you know anything about ice cream, you know I love it. And the second thing is, is that in Chicago, it can be windy and cold. And so my friend Trey, we're sitting there outside, I'm eating ice cream, and I am sh shivering, shaking. Like, I mean, I would, you know, I'm like, I mean, not just kind of, like my whole body was shaking. And Trey's like, are you okay? And I'm like, it's fine, I'm fine. Are you sure you look like you're not okay? Or do you want, we can go inside and eat the ice cream. And I'm like, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. Be, I've grown a lot in this area, I w will confess to you, but I would argue this. Have you ever considered that unhealthy optimists, actually what's happening is, is that there's this minimization of sin. That actually we live in this place where we don't, want to come and express really how deep and painful and hard sin has impacted our lives. We, we don't want to enter 
the grief of life. We don't want to have Kleenex boxes. And in essence, what we're saying is the world doesn't have pain. Come on, you, you should just get it. God, he, he's, it's fine. God's there. Jesus died for you. Be happy. And that drastically misses the point of what the joy is that God wants to bring and give into our lives. Sometimes Christians think this looks like joy, and I really am speaking to myself here. I'm learning this, but the reality is, is that that's counterfeit joy. It's not a real joy. It's, it's, we can say like things are God's at work and that God is in control, but really deep down we're trying to avoid the reality of what it means that he might be using all things. Well, let's talk about the other ditch, the ditch of despair, and when that comes to people who experience pain in their lives. And this is the person who, when they found out that there was a shortage of toilet paper and COVID, they freaked out. Because they were like, I need, you know, this is the person in the ditch of despair needs their Kleenex box, right? Only the unhealthy optimists are laughing right now because uh, the real despairing people, you're like, yeah, I need that because life is a mess. Life is a mess. This is a painful ditch. Sometimes people refer to it as the dark night of the soul. You know, the Bible teaches us a lot about despair. There's a lot of people who were despairing. I was reminded this week in the Old Testament, in the book of Ruth, in the story of Naomi, it's a great story, actually. I encourage you maybe to read it or listen to it this week. And Naomi is one of the main characters, and there's a famous quote that she has where she's wrestling with the reality of life, and she's in the midst of despair, and she says this in Ruth chapter 1. She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. This ditch, it devours the Kleenex box. It sees no end to pain. It sees no hope. It sees that sin is winning. Death can't come quickly enough. Have you ever considered that this ditch can minimize the power of the cross? Think about that with me for a second, if you would. That Jesus came into this world and entered into our suffering so that he could change the experience of our pain. You know, let's acknowledge that we are drawn to these ditches. All of us are. Different experiences and moments of our lives. But this is not how God invites us to experience life. Yes, Jesus rose again. But think about this. Sorrow didn't cease after Jesus rose again. I think that's what the 
eternal optimist or the unhealthy optimist is like, hey, Jesus rose again. Your sins are covered, man. Just, it's okay. Be happy. And it's like, yeah, that, that, is, that is a reality that should help us in some way. But the fact is, there was still sorrow after Jesus rose from the, the grave. And in fact, all over scripture there is. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9, he wrote, There is great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart as he thought about his friends who didn't know Jesus. He also later on describes the apostles as sorrowful yet always rejoicing in 2 Corinthians. We're going to look at that in just a minute. Jesus' death didn't hinder him from saying, blessed are you who weep now. Didn't hinder James from advising us to grieve and mourn well. Now at the same time, at the same time to, to again remind us here what's going on, Jesus brightens our hearts with glimpses and tastes of what eternity will be like. For those who are in the depths of despair, we do need to be reminded and encouraged that he pours foretastes of what is for us to come by sending his son into this world to give us hope and joy and peace and comfort and love and all of these things that he, he does know what he's doing and that one day there will be something better. And he wants to take away our sorrow and our tears. We have to be reminded that joy and pain, disappointment and celebration are written in God's plan for you and me. Both are just glimpses and foretastes to help us see what is to come. We are not in heaven yet. We are destined to experience earth's sorrows. Listen to what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He wrote this, but we have treasures in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed, not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. What a powerful reminder that we can have joy in life because of Jesus in us alongside the pain of life. I loved how he describes these, afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not forsaken. And so what he's showing us here is that we have joy and pain and they're alongside each other as we walk through this life as Christians. We don't deny and we don't despair. We live in joy and we live in pain. I thought about this. <laughs> you know what the realists are thinking right now? They're going, told you. <laughs> but I, I want to I offer this to you guys this morning. I actually think that what makes Christianity, and especially in our understanding of joy and pain, different is that we believe that all three need to be part of our experience. That we should be the ultimate optimists because we do believe that God is returning, that one day he is going to bring us into the greatest party ever. And there's reason to have joy for that. And, and we do live as healthy, deep, real, ultimate pessimists because sin is awful. 
I mean, it's not, we, to even just try to pretend that it doesn't hurt us and that there are these things in our lives that cause us pain and frustration and ache, that, that, that we should be the people in this world who are saying, yeah, this world is not the way it was meant to be, and if we pretend like it's not, then we're just in denial. But if we live in this place where we're like, no, there is, we are pessimists. We don't look at everything and pretend and just, oh, yeah, look, everything's fine. No, no, we, we live in this place where we can grieve and lament and ache but not be in despair. And, and so as realists, we understand somewhat the balance of these things. But here's what I would say to realists. That what I find in realists is, is that they, all, they avoid the extremes of both. Realists just kind of live here safely in the middle. It's like, well, yep, God's good, but I'm, you know, I'm keeping it together here because the world is a mess too. And I think what the Bible invites us to is experience all three. That there should be these expressions of rejoicing and we have these moments of over-exuberance and excitement because of God's work in this world. And there are these moments of deep pain and frustration and angst and crying out. And then we have these moments too where we can live in both of those and encourage each other and say, yeah, I understand. And, and so all three of these should be the experience of our journey with Christ. So we rejoice and we grieve and where the realist helps us is we move forward on the journey of life. So how do we keep from the ditches? How do we allow joy and pain to coexist? Well, in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul has this great sentence that I think is worth just reflecting on here. In verse 10 of chapter 6, he says, Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. He's describing his disciples here. And he describes them as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. That the reality of a Christian's life is that there's pain in this life because of sin and evil, but there's a path of joy that helps us enter into that grief without despair. And so we're called to be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. So in grief, what, what helps bring us back here? In grief, it's the presence of God. That when we feel ourselves falling into that pit of despair, what we desperately need to remind our hearts is that Jesus broke into the world of suffering to give him, to give us him. When we grieve and feel deep sorrow, we, we look to Jesus who endured a greater grief and a greater sorrow. Why? For me, for you. There's a reason Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Sorrow forces us to, to identify and connect deeply with Jesus. What it means that he carried the cross for us. And, and if you're experiencing sorrow this morning, if you have tears, if you look back over your year and it breaks your heart, if your tears seem to flow endlessly over a deep disappointment, the reminder this morning is that Jesus came into this world to give you himself, his presence. I heard a great quote this week that I thought really spoke to this. Someone said, there's something worse than being sad. It's worse to be sad and alone. 
And Jesus comes into this world of pain that still exists, and he says, remember, I came to bring you me. Psalm chapter 23, David is reflecting on this, and he says in verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Do you guys know what the valley of the shadow of death is? Have you been there? Are you there right now? David wrote, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. You are with me. Maybe this morning, if you've been in the ditch or are in that ditch of despair, you could hear that encouragement that God's presence is with you. And you can know that for sure because Jesus broke into this world acknowledging our despair and our pain and the effects of evil and sin to set us free. Well, in joy, we remind ourselves <laughs> when we're in this denial, what do we have to remind ourselves of? God's providence. Now, we have to be careful here. God's providence meaning that God is in control of all things, that God is working in all things, that we can say what, what Joseph said at the end of his life with his brothers, you meant this for evil, but God used it for good. That, that when we're tempted to live life like everything is fine and there's no need for tears, that's how I am. I, I, I'm like, no, it's fine. We're all good. Let's just be happy. When we're tempted to live like that, we have to remind ourselves of God's providence, that, that he, he's at work in all things, in all things. That a healthy view of God being at work in pain and suffering and heartache, it, 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 it empowers me to then to have a sense of joy and peace and comfort that there's something that it's not just about being happy, but there's something that brings a more satisfying experience because of God's work that allows me to then say, I'm joyful. I can rejoice not necessarily in the circumstances like we talked about a few weeks ago, but in the circumstance that, that God has put me in, that he's going to work all things for his purposes, for his glory. Christians who have joy that is built on providence, they are Christians who can place their story in the context of a larger story. That's what it means to understand the providence of God. And what I've learned, even in my own grief and suffering this year, is that Christians who understand this, they don't repel people who are grieving. I want you to think about this for just a second, because sometimes I think the unhealthy optimist, the person who's in the ditch of denial, what they think is when I see someone who's hurting, well, I'll just go be happy around them and then they're gonna, it'll make them better. And you know what those people are thinking? Go away. <laughs> but, but I wonder if you have known that person who has the joy of the providence of God in their lives 
And when you're in the midst of grief and despair and that person comes into your life and who is with you and brings the presence of God to you, how it does bring you joy. I hope that's an experience for you. Because that's, that's what God invites us to in our community is to be people who live in this great balance of the providence of God and the presence of God so we can experience joy in this life and pain in this life and know that God is working. And we know that why. We know that why because he broke into this world 2,000 years ago. It's what we celebrate every year. We need to recognize that there's a work to be done in either ditch. We need to remind ourselves that we can be in both places. <laughs> and that this journey we're on, if you will, that this is the drive we're on. That God's providence and his presence invites us to experience joy and pain together. So where are we headed in that? And I'll finish here. It is still important to remember that we're headed to joy. That we're headed to the ultimate place of joy. That when eternity is described to us, it's described as a banquet. It's a party. And it's this amazing place, and we celebrate Advent because if Jesus came into this world and defeated sin and death, we can be assured that he's coming again. And what is the direction we're headed? That's where we're headed. And so in Revelation, we need to remind ourselves over and over and over again in verses 3 through 7 of chapter 20, one, chapter 21, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God presence, because the story and providence of God have come to fruition. And I think in this moment, for all of us, what we need to be reminded of is this. That in our joy and in our pain, in that moment of eternity, God will do this. And he will say, my child, let me wipe away your tears. Because I've been planning for you to have ultimate joy through all eternity. So come, let us party and let us rejoice because we are together now forever. Let's pray. Father, there is a ton of pain in this room this morning. And so we need your presence to be so real. And Father, there is a ton of reason for rejoicing in this room. 
Help us to trust that you are at work in all things. And may we be a people who our community would be confused by. May we be a people who are eternal optimists in the most healthy way because we know that you are at work and Jesus broke into this world. And may we be the best lamenters and grievers and pessimists in this life because we know and have been impacted by the effects of sin. And may we be great realists who can explain and point to optimism and pessimism and direct people towards the hope of the future of where we're headed, that one day all of our tears will be wiped away so we can live in joy and pain until we get to be with you forever. So grow our longings for that this Advent season, we ask. And may we rejoice this morning and cry if we need to. And be reminded that because of Jesus and his coming 2,000 years ago, we can be convinced that you long for us to be in your presence for eternity. So today we cry, come Lord Jesus. We desperately need you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.